This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today's guest has built giant cakes, designed cozy mountain homes and boozy retro diners, created fake airplanes and architected a house for a doll. Although her work is deeply rooted in architecture, interior design, we'll be talking about space, exhibition and set design. We have Kamini Rao with us on Audiogan. She's a multidisciplinary designer with a focus on collective experiences using art and architecture. She founded Studio Slip in 2018 with an aim to bring an experimental approach to interior design. At Slip, she heads a team of architects and designers and together they design cultural spaces, museum and exhibitions but also work in commercial and residential realm. So welcome Kamini to Audio Gan and it's a real real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for giving your time. Thanks Kedar, it's really nice to be here. I'm in awe of all your previous guests and I'm excited to be on your show today. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And as I started off with an your introduction which is actually taken from your website, so I wanted to start off by asking like I mean that will also set the premise to the uh, rest of the conversation that like what kind of work do you exactly do like if you could give us a sense of because it sounds very cool uh, and uh, you have a diverse portfolio huge body of work so if you can just help us understand what kind of work exactly you do absolutely so um sometimes i find it complicated to explain as well because i do so many different things at the end of the day it all comes to spatial de- design it's the same skill set that I share across the four disciplines. So we do predominantly four different types of design. Um the first one being commercial, you know, the bread and butter. We do lots of offices. We have a little niche in the um science and medical space. So um in in these commercial interiors we worked on vaccination plants, we've worked for um uh, Cipla and Hester Biosciences, we worked with India Institute of Science. uh the national center for biological sciences and very recently as of last week uh with nimhans which is the mental health institute in bangalore in bangalore yeah and so yeah so that's one section of my design then we have residential which i know uh everybody can sort of uh understand quite quickly so i won't go into that in detail and then the two interesting things that we also do alongside these projects are exhibition design and set design exhibition and sets can't be so i mean they can be plugged in together because they're sort of short term very um quick turnover projects but the way you think about them are very different so for sets we do ads and films uh mostly local to bangalore um the big sets and films are done in bombay of course but whenever there's a local production happening in bangalore we are one of the few production designers who do uh, who do some of those uh, sets and exhibitions which is the last uh, design category that we dabble in is uh, is to do with the museum space and the educational space and uh, that's been really fun to work on as well because we learn every time we work on a new project great great so as you said um, about interior design for residential people know about it uh, i am definitely interested in the commercial side of things also but more interested in exhibition design and a bit of set design also because that's not covered in audio gan so far and uh, also please feel free to take examples from your commercial projects also to help us understand 
how these things are made. But uh, if I were to start with exhibition design predominantly, like can you give some examples or or what kind of brief you guys get? Who are the entities? How does it how does it come to be? Right? Uh, how is this entire thing set up? If with an example or like at an abstract level also. Okay, I would say exhibition and set design. Uh, the brief comes from the product um, or the or, or the. I wouldn't say product. I would think of it as almost as a branding project where you have this. Uh, not necessarily product, but a bit of information, and you're trying to get a lot of different consumers slash viewers to understand. Um, so when we're looking at it, we're looking at it uh, through a spatial lens, but also we're looking at multiple stakeholders and an audience. Um, so when it comes to exhibition design, like the there are two main things that you have to keep in mind. One is the actual space, because now everything has to be decided according to uh, the parameters of these four walls. And I would say that content is the biggest, um, the biggest factor that we design around. So the exhibitions that we've done in the past, one was for a handloom sari foundation. One was, uh, for this very, very, uh, exciting nanotourism initiative in Arunachal Pradesh, where we were looking at Mon, uh, the Monpa tribe, their culture and, uh, and sort of displaying it for, uh, the year of Arunachal had uh, 2020 was a year of tourism. Of course, that went out of the window. But just at the beginning, just before COVID, I was there um, for a few weeks before COVID hit, um, trying to putting this whole festival up and designing a museum around their culture. So um, if you talk about the process, it's really about the content. Uh, that sorry, uh, sorry, I'll just interrupt you. But when you said about content design in the beginning, can you elaborate? Like, is it the the text is it the is it what what does the exhibition stand for that content or is it like like i'm just trying to understand what do you mean by content at this i i can elaborate so we have um in each exhibition it's different so of course yeah every exhibition you kind of see what the target audience is and so there are different target audiences for different exhibitions and once we identify who that is then we start designing according to that. So uh, there's always content. I think the brief always comes from, say, for example, the Nimhans exhibition that we did last week. We knew it had to be an accessible exhibition for people who spoke Canada and English. It had to be for children as well as adults. So we knew that it couldn't be too heavy. It couldn't, it had to be, the matter had to be light. And so it, it all starts from the content and the target audience and then sort of figuring out how to curate the information and then how to visually or uh, not only visually, but like display it in through objects, through visuals, through sound. And so um, we look at all the five senses and we break down the content so that it's digestible to different people of different uh, walks of life. Hmm. But I was under the impression that the content is given typically by the organizer like how does it happen like say let's take nehams as an example and like if you can disclose like what was the theme about it and then that is will be given by nehams to slip and then slip will design it for lack of a better word but in fact yeah it will design right they will you guys will design it Correct. so so, so how does it happen so the content yeah the content is given to us we usually work with the research team and uh 
um, and a curation team. Uh, and sometimes we do, we help, we help with, we don't really help with the research as much because that'll be a six months long uh, effort that happens before we come on board. So um, research is done for around six months and all the information is sort of uh, vetted by NIMHANS. And then once the doctors vetted to say like, this is okay, we can, you know, there's no, uh, there's no problems to put this out there in the public space. Then we sort of like bring the in together with the curation team. We sort of bring it down to the essence of the exhibition. So the one that we just did was an archival exhibition. We were looking at, um, it, it was a little research heavy, but we were looking at, um, the archives of Nimhans from the 1920s to the 1970s. Now I can do, 800 exhibitions on that same information over and over again and it's very difficult to narrow down that information um so i think uh what happens is because there's so many teams involved we sort of cut information each team cuts out information to get the final content so nimhans for example the doctor say hey you know this uh this is a disease that every there's too much information about and we don't really need to uh we don't need to display it let's look at severe diseases and then within severe diseases the research team says hey listen this severe disease might be too triggering for people we don't want people to come in there and feel panic or feel uh feel uh targeted or anything so so that got uh, that got uh, removed. And then as the design team, we said, hey, listen, this content is too much and cannot fit on this wall. So we just have to remove these stories. So there's mm -hmm. a spatial play. There's, there's so many things involved to come down to the final content. Got uh, it, got it. So if I'm understanding it correctly, it's almost uh, a curation plus design job where you are listening to the brief and, and what they want to put out but you are also aware of what kind of audience are going to come in through your research. And then you find the right balance as to what to show. And after what to show is locked, then how to show. Correct. Correct. Okay. So can you share any nuances of how to show? How, like, how does that happen? I can. So um, I'll give you two examples. The, the exhibition that I told you about in 2020, that had to do with the Monpa tribe and their culture. That was a little tricky because we had a lot of objects to show on display, but we had very little information. Everything was, you know, uh, it was just a, a an oral history that was not in the English language and was very difficult to understand the significance of each object. So in that exhibition, it was uh, it was an object heavy exhibition. We had lots of objects to display. We had just one or two lines to explain. Uh, each object. But if someone, a viewer, an audience, someone from outside the Monpa tribe came and asked us a little more information about it, we would stumble a little bit because we just didn't have, you know, it's a hundred year old history. They don't have a written language. They just have, you know, a few lines here and there about their grandmothers. And so that was an object heavy, but content, like content, written content was less. The opposite happened in Nimhans where we had so much written content that it was so difficult to display it on the walls without it looking like a brochure on the walls. So it was a tricky situation to, we had to get a graphic designer on board to create illustrations that were approved by Nimhans because, you know, it has to be mm -hmm. uh, their government organization. They're very strict about what can be seen and what not and how, how they are projected to the world as well. 
Um, and the, the exhibition is called Notes on Madness, but we didn't want to make it seem like, you know, everything in there was mad. We wanted to say like, it's okay <laughs> if there's, if, if you feel any of these things, it's okay. Um, so yeah, so the opposite happened in Nimhan's where just, uh, we had two or three objects. We really had to pull in for graphics. We had to make sure there was audio and, uh, and, and videos and things like that to engage the user, engage the audience. Mm-hmm. And are there other types of exhibitions that you have engaged in? I mean, I got the gist of how these things are shaping up, but, uh, I remember, I think, uh, Sudhir Nadkarni, uh, I interviewed long time back and he also spoke about exhibition design and my perception was more of setting up the area completely. Uh, which has entry exit and ways to sort of navigate through inside and so are there any best practices or uh, in terms of not even best practices I would say like are there like patterns of different types of exhibitions something is like just FYI something which is you have to buy stuff and sometimes it just I don't know some military kind of stuff which is kept and you have to just look at it. <laughs> okay, so the way I go about the exhibitions is I, I love to go to museums, and I I, I am uh, I am my, I design for myself, and so <laughs> there are different ways to go about it. I always I feel like there's always um, some interaction in the exhibitions that I design. So it's it's not just a simple walkthrough. I always make sure that firstly it's accessible. So um, if there's text on the wall, you know, people of it's uh, disabled friendly. It's uh, it's fine for an elderly person. They'd be able to see the font sizes. There's always a little bench or somewhere to sit and reflect. There's always an interaction point. So I just one I make my exhibition slightly immersive. I make them slightly playful, and I make sure that anyone can enjoy it. So whether it's a child or an elderly person, it's accessible for all. Um, in terms of, uh, I didn't. I talked a lot about the curation about a curation of an exhibition, but I didn't really talk about the design. I think curation is the mm-hmm. first aspect of it. But once you slowly come into the design, um, I think uh, then it's a lot. It's a lot playful. We we get colors and we get fonts and we get different table structures or seating structures. And because it's a it's a temporary sort of uh, space. We, we are allowed to be more playful because, you know, these things don't have to last more than uh, three months to a year. An exhibition is always revolving. And therefore, we have uh, we have a chance to be a little more bold with our designs. So if you want the ceiling and the floors blue, we did we did an entire exhibition that was uh so I think because these exhibitions are temporary structure, we can be very bold with our designs. Uh, the last exhibition that we did, which was which ended uh, in Jan this year, was at the National Center for Biological Sciences. And we created, in a very small space in their archive, uh, we almost made uh, an immersive medical lab meets uh, aquarium. So uh, the person walking in almost didn't know if they were looking into an aquarium or if they were inside an aquarium and people were looking in. So we played a lot with 
flashing lights and flowy movements of textiles. And we encapsulated the entire space in uh, a dark navy blue. So they really felt like they were in an ocean. And there was lots of uh, light boxes where people were, were meant to look at. So it's almost like you're looking into, into a body of, uh, it was called Bodies at Sea. And so it was uh, an exhibition that uh, was uh, looking at the differences between the human body and bodies in the ocean in a scientific and artistic manner. Um, so I think that exhibition was really fun because uh, you sort of felt like you were in a different world. Yeah, yeah. it's It sounds very fascinating. I recently, I mean, I'm in Singapore right now and there are a lot of cool setup and cool uh, museums and and immersive experiences. I recently went for a Van Gogh museum, uh, Van Gogh, uh, uh, like a walkthrough, and, and it was quite amazing. Uh, cool. So so maybe we'll take some bits of uh, the set design piece also. Uh, if you could tell us like how, how does the world change when you move to set design? Okay, set designs. Um, so we, I don't, we don't do as many set designs uh, as uh, uh, as exhibitions and other uh, the other sort of designs. And the reason we, uh, it's very very intense. I would say the timelines are much shorter. Um, you have to do an entire whole production set in a week, and it's uh, all hell breaks loose, and you really have to think on your feet. Um, the last, the maybe the, the biggest exhibition that we've done, I'm not exhibition, sorry. The biggest set design that we have done was the giant rotating cake that you mentioned in the bio. And if anyone listening can, of course, look at it on the website. Um, but we were asked to uh, create for, uh, for a stock brokerage app. Uh, they were creating a YouTube sort of video. And uh, in, this, in this type of design, you're given a script. So um, it's just uh, it's just one sheet A four paper of like everybody's lines and a little bit of background information and then that goes to uh, that goes to a visualizer who makes thumbnails of the entire uh, design and that comes to you as a package and you get to be creative about what size and what colors and things like that because I think um, when you work in set designs you sort of know what looks good on camera. So I know what colors look good. I know what colors don't look good. And therefore, when we're creating this, we have a little more leeway in terms of um, how we want it to feel. So um, the, the giant rotating cake uh, was two stories. It wasn't made of actual cake. Um, it had, it was made out of plywood, it had thermocol, it was honestly not very environmentally friendly, but it just gets set up for a day, it does its thing during the shoot, and then it slowly comes apart, and then it goes into different projects or, diff or scrapped to small pieces. Um, so mm. the exciting thing about the cake, we, we genuinely got one week to do it. it, was very hectic, it was all-nighters for a whole week. And of course, the clients had to sign off. There's a production company that's the middleman. So we're sort of, you know, at the at the end of the scale where we get lots of little bits of information trickle down and it's very last minute. And um, I think on the actual shoot day, uh, we we rented, uh, You if you've seen car ads, you'll see them spinning on a big mm. sort of mm -hmm. wheel and it's on a motor. So we rented one of those motors to put this huge cake. But the cake was heavier than a car and the motor broke on the day of our shoot. 
so then it was and as as a woman in this industry there's only me and this 10 other men and we literally had to take a big rope tie like rope it around the entire um wheel and then slowly pull behind the camera so there's some uh, bts on our instagram but you will see the entire production like filming and we are hiding behind the cake pulling the cake wow <laughs> yeah like it's it's actually fun the reason why i'm more interested in also set design and and planning to get few more guests who have done it very uh, extensively is because when i was in college i remember there was this film called i forgot the name of the film but it had anil kapoor preeti zinta and amitabh bachchan uh it was on doctors and i was in my what about just like roaming around near the college and somebody came and said hey do you know like c++ and i said uh, yeah i was like in my uh, computer sort of uh, graduation and he said and i said yes so he took me to goregaon in one of the studios and he said listen this is the first time they are doing a sync sound so the camera will capture everything that's happening and they have a monitor and there's an operation happening and the monitor will have this beeping sound but we don't want the beep we just want the line to go through it so can you change it and i said for sure i can change it but i need the source file no no you have the compiled file you won't have the source file <laughs> so finally it didn't happen but it's it happens very very like abici abici types yeah it's very hectic and you really need to think on your feet and not yeah as tired as you are you still have to keep going till that final wrap up is done yeah yeah cool so yeah so maybe we can like take few more examples of uh, uh, exhibition design itself and uh, since i mentioned about the van gogh museum which i saw i wanted to ask you like then where do ideas come from uh, because each brief will be very different i'm sure it it will involve a lot of traveling it will involve a lot of looking at actual physical tactile things as opposed to in our world where we can just open be hands and and check things so how does it happen with you like uh, you and your team um so when i i think uh, it goes all over the place actually i don't know if there's um if there is a strategic process to it we go through a lot of brainstorming as a team and we just like sit around a table and we throw absolutely every idea out there possible and then our ideas get cancelled out based on one like the amount of we at this point we know how much money we have to work with so we already know like hey this is a little bit too much we can't afford this um and then we sort of like hone down our ideas a little bit um once we sort of um hone it down we go into 3d and we start tweaking with you know the ways that we design so there was another exhibition that we worked on a couple of um years ago i think this was in 2019 that was the one with the the sari exhibition and uh the sari exhibition because we're using a lot of textiles we knew we wanted a lot of flow and so um it was at the bangalore international center and we just used the architecture of that space and just started chucking these sarees through holes through anything that we could so that was a very organic way of looking at mm. the 
exhibition. Um, so sometimes it's a, a situation where it's a it's a build, it's a set, it's a exhibition set build, and you have to have it all planned to the T. But sometimes you get these fluid, organic forms, and you just like keep throwing them around till you get something you like, and it's a little bit like a mad scientist. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, it's uh, when it comes to uh, set design, which is, I think, you have a little less time. Uh, you you don't have that much time to experiment. So in other type of the other designs that we do, we have time we have time to work on our idea and refine our idea and change our idea. But when it comes to set design, you only have that much time. The client has to approve, and then you go straight. You're coordinating with the director. You're coordinating with the DOP. You're coordinating with so many different people and sets and wardrobes and things like that, that you are, you don't have enough time to refine an idea. Whatever your first idea, whatever your first thought is in mind, it's the final idea. Um, and so, and so that's also, it's tricky because you have to be like very certain and very happy and to go forward in exhibition time, you have time because the research takes so much time that you have time to change things as the content changes, you keep refining your ideas um the other uh so how long other... does this typically uh like say suppose there's a a week-long exhibition how much time does it take to prepare like oh exhibitions will take a little longer than a week usually at the minimum no, no. Month. no i'm saying like if it's a week-long exhibition how look how does the window look like if it's one week long then do you take three months six months eight months or like for the preparation and research I would say the preparation and research for exhibition design would all be the minimum three months and maximum to a year, at least the exhibitions that I have worked on so far. Of course, the big, big exhibitions coming to Bangalore, I mean, not Bangalore, India, um, that have been had years in planning. And as we, as more money comes into this exhibition space, you'll get more and more time to uh, work on things uh, and and refine things, but the opposite is in set design. There is a lot of money in set design, but they just it's it's a commercial project, so time is money. You have to do it really yeah. quick. Um, there's yeah. one set design that we worked on. Um, I think this was one of the first uh, set designs that I worked on, where we created a fake aeroplane. And um, I think one of your questions actually mentions it about, you know, everything on the camera is so perfect and everything behind it is chaos. Um, I actually enjoy that. I think there's something um, I, I enjoy that I can just... I can just look this side and this side and it's a different world altogether. Um, mm. Some of the best parts about uh, these set designs are the behind the scenes, the mess, all the lights and the camera and people shushing and people eating little snacks behind. Um, I think that's what makes it fun because if everything's perfect, like it is in an ad, then that's not life, you know? No mm. one wants to live in that in that sort of reality. You want to live in this little jugad messy bit, but also have these moments of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, so, so yeah, no. So I was yeah, actually, uh, some great uh, insights there. So, like, how do you, or where do you seek inspiration from? That was the main question. Because do you travel? Do you like go to other exhibitions or like where where does that moment of is bar aise karenge or or how is it guided also like is it guided by the theme because you gave an example in bic 
you put in sarees so like uh, other things that guide you to do to do it in a particular way and not or sometimes there are constraints if you can give us some glimpses there um my inspiration comes from everything i i do i love to travel um i think that's everyone's answer but i don't think that's my answer um i think i take a lot of inspiration from uh like having a sense of humor i think firstly to be an indian in india you have to laugh because everything goes wrong all the time there's just so much jugad happening all the time and if you get angry about it what's the point so you just have to laugh and like there's some sort of i think because i find things quite amusing it allows me to be playful uh in my work life and like you know just anything from from walking down the road and seeing some bike guy do something ridiculous that someone else would be angry to i find it funny so i get a lot of like my inspiration just from day to day walking around taking the metro getting into an auto and just like observing things the funny signs at behind the auto or people's car bump stickers and like that gives me a lot of inspiration to feel like you know this world is funny this country is funny i think we can we 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 can we are playful by nature and my work becomes playful by nature and because um i started this studio with that intent like it's called studio slip because i just wanted to say like hey you know even if i slip and fall like it's okay i'll find myself in a new and unexpected place and that's the ethos is to take a risk and to find yourself somewhere random and that's why i do so many random things and because of that for the last 5 years i've been doing that all the clients who've been coming to me or are like you know who are keen to work with me also have that same mentality and um and so it it means that i i get these unique people who want to do unique things um just because wow. i've made it a goal of mine nice nice so how like you mentioned about the fake plane is making fake always on budget or sometimes it's are there any stories of uh, like not making it fake and and but you had to make it fake even though you had the budget anything yeah i have lots of fake stories um <laughs> we had uh, one of the one of the semi scandalous things that i had to do uh, i was working on five set designs for a fine art photographer called arjun kamath uh, i'm not sure we actually in fact you should interview him at some point as well he's very interesting and now he's become a long term client of mine so first we did this So I did five set designs for him, and then after that, I did his office. Now I'm doing his home, and now I'm doing his mother's home. So he's become wow. like this long-term client. Where I've done all. Now next, we need an exhibition with him, and I've covered all my faucet of like residential, commercial, set, and exhibition. I would have finished off with this one guy. So he's a very unique um, uh, photographer, and he wanted to do something called the Anxiety series. and he uh he wanted to have five fine art photographs that won a lot of awards um and he did this in 2019 just before covid so it really took off because it um each picture uh talked about a different type of anxiety so there was uh there was one in particular where we're talking about fake there was one uh photo where we we were talking about the fear of death and there was a funeral pyre that we i had to build uh, so lots of cutting getting cut wood putting it all together and we had to create these bodies like it was a it's a hindu scene a hindu uh, funeral scene and i had to create entire bodies made out of newspaper 
and in the middle of like of course you have so little time so in the middle of the night it's my entire office uh it's my staff at home like everybody you could wrapping balls of newspaper to create this human body and then wrapping it with uh you know uh saffron colored cloth and then we placed these uh, and cello taping it together really it was some it was very art school mm-hmm. sort of project um and then placing it at this uh at at the set of this uh picture and so that was a, obviously i'm not going to use real dead body so of course that was a fake dead body situation to make it look very realistic then um in the same the same day we had the second shoot and that was uh it, it was sort of trying to depict a sense of anxiety about not being able to leave home and so there was a model um actually an actress shweta tripathi who had come in to shoot that and uh it this was all shot in minerva mills which is an abandoned mill and i we literally like got furniture from some of our residential projects we got curtains we got everything and we there was an empty decrepit falling down mill and we just set it up like a bedroom and over here we were supposed to put um uh, tarantulas all over her body and all over the set to make it to, to just to depict the fear mm. um and over here we didn't use uh fake tarantulas because we were looking to fake so we tested out before and we had them all imported and had actual tarantulas on set wow. and i actually have um in the office we have these jars and each jar is a souvenir jar for each of our projects and for that project i have two tarantulas still in the jar of course they're dead um but i have two tarantulas to for my souvenir from that project wow amazing amazing stories huh? hmm. yeah <laughs> so how how much overlap does architecture interior design or furniture design or i don't know industrial design like how like knowing them is good enough or to have certain command over it's good like uh, i mean how does it help in your practice so i um i didn't study any of these things i studied this uh spatial design course in an art school and i think because i did that it gives me the flexibility to dab into these other fields um of course i have an office full of very qualified architects and interior designers and um and the works but i think just because um i i went to an art school i have this uh sort of uh, ability to think of all of it in the same way um i think there are definite overlaps especially when it comes to uh, the actually the actual skills involved you if you really come down to it it's autocad drawings it's carpentry drawings whether you're creating a home or a set or an exhibition those are the same skills skill sets that are shared across um it's only scale you're thinking big scale or small scale and as long as your mind can grapple that mm-hmm. I think they're all pretty much similar to each other. Of course, one thing is different in a set design. There's no uh, structural. You don't need structural integrity. It can all fall down. In as long as it stays up for the camera for those few hours, it can collapse. And sometimes it does. Um, but obviously, when we're doing a commercial space or in home, that has to start like last twenty years. You're using much better materials. You're spending a lot more money and time. and honing that a lot more but yeah there's definite overlaps for sure in all of these things mm-hmm. 
so um in the design world we have this saying right great design is invisible design like you almost are not noticing it i mean even like it goes with uh, typography as well right if it's done well you almost it's you are you don't notice the font uh, as in the typeface so is there something similar in exhibition design that it feels very natural it feels very intuitive it feels almost organically laid down is that a pursuit also there are different in design there are different ways of thinking about there's less is more there's more is more um you can mm. you can you can go any way and i would think the same with fa- different types of design in fashion you could be extra you could be maximalist you could be minimalist so i don't think um uh i don't think design is invisible necessarily sometimes it is sometimes it's important to be i would say mm-hmm. when it comes to accessibility and things like that people shouldn't they shouldn't notice they should just be like hey this is easy to read for anybody or this space is easy to navigate for me that way that's invisible and that's perfect that's how it should be um but in terms of uh boldness or grabbing attention and things like that we're not afraid to do any of that i don't think a mm-hmm. lot of our work is invisible i think it's very loud and uh and calling your attention um but i like to think of of both uh i i think some types of design have to be invisible and subtle and uh and that is a successful type of design mm-hmm. cool and and can you tell me about um, like your collaboration because i happened to interview ruchika nambiar also yes uh, so <laughs> so yeah if you could uh, tell a bit about the doll project and any other exciting project that you have worked on uh, i mean how different was it for working at a miniature scale you just now spoke about its scale uh, right. it seems like i have seen some videos and and it seems to be very intricate very detailed very small scale kind of a setup maybe you can talk a little bit about the doll project and any new learnings there okay i'm i'm happy to talk about uh, rishika's i did realize she was on your show earlier and that's quite exciting i'm i'm a very close friend of hers and it was amazing to work on this doll house together so that is a set design i would consider that uh, a set design um the way uh, the way that came about it was it, it, the the process was very much like how we how we do it with any of our interior uh, our residential clients so the client comes with, with a brief she told us she said hey i have this desk space of 2 by 2 um that's the plot size and uh, you know my doll is living in a drawer and she's up like moving up in life moving uh, and we have to design our house and uh, because essentially at the end of the day the the project is a photography project so we knew the windows had to be big enough for the hands to go in we knew the ceiling heights had to be big enough if you talk about scale uh we just needed to make sure that the scale was big enough for it to be a photography project that walls could come apart and go back in together but apart from that the process was like a residential client she gave us our brief we had back and forth uh we really treated it like every other project i talked to a lot of my vendors uh, you know jaipur rugs who i buy rugs from on for my residential clients i spoke to them i said i'd like these five rugs can i can i get permission to print them in miniature um because i didn't want to like plagiarize their lugs and they were really happy they were like yeah go ahead <laughs> go for it um and so we collaborated with different brands the people who supply my fabrics you know fab india i took their actual swatches uh via fabrics is another brand that i work with i took their swatches and we just like decorated this entire house 
Um, it was tricky because this obviously is a set design but has to hold. Um, I didn't want the whole thing tumbling and falling apart. So we had load bearing walls, we had columns, we had all the things that wow. a house would have. Um, the fun part about working with Ruchika and little R was the any back and forth I had with her became a little story in her uh, dollhouse project story. So when we sent her um, technical drawings to approve, uh, they would they would go in little miniature envelopes with our studio slip logo. And um, every time we had a, say we had a small argument or a disagreement, that doll would be shaking her head on Instagram saying, I've just fought with the architect. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was really nice because it, it almost, it was like a playful version of what we go through with, with our actual uh, clients. If there were changes or the modifications, every interaction we had became a story in this doll's life. In terms of the actual build, it was very tricky. Um, uh, you know, Richika did uh, most of the production or the build herself, but we spent a lot of hours, um, you know, going over there after work. It was actually a little bit through COVID when they relaxed. So our work was a little slow and we'd go over to our house and we'd create these cement floors and Jaisalmer floors. And um, it, it, I would say it took as long as I, it, as a regular project. Um, I think we did one year of planning and the build slowly over another year. So it was two years in total. And uh, and after that, it was so wildly popular. So many people got in touch with me to do miniatures. And I said, you know, just the one. I'm not doing any more. It's the same amount of work as a full-blown house, but obviously the pay is so much smaller. Um, I'm trying to actually think if I have, if there are any other sets that I want to talk about. But... Uh, sets or exhibitions. I told you about the Arjun Kamath one. Uh, yeah, I think it's okay. There are two more in there, but I, they're smaller ones, so it's all right. Got it, got it. Okay, so we'll take it from here then. Okay. Cool, I think, uh, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating to know uh, so many different facets and I'm sure working with you will be like a different experience altogether because it's it's residential it's commercial and everything i just wanted to conclude with one last question uh, is like how does the future look like uh, in terms of exhibitions and real spaces when when things are moving to metaverse <laughs> um i don't think the physical space will ever uh will ever change people want raw experiences mm -hmm. people want brick and mortar experiences, they want tactile experiences. And um, even though we're going into uh, a, a metaverse, um, and it, it already exists, it already exists with online shopping and things like that. Uh, I think at the end of the day, maybe real life experiences will become niche, will become sought after. I think uh, there'll be more and more queues, more and more people will want to go have actual real world experiences see exhibitions for real um, and it's sort of like how these old old records have come back in fashion and later cassette tapes will come back in fashion i think physical spaces will come back in fashion uh, you can see everything on google or on 3d with augmented reality but actual spaces will become a trend again uh, which is a weird thing to say uh, that that uh, physical experience 
is a trend, but I think it, I think we'll lose base with it. People will opt for augmented reality and things like that. And then or VR experiences. And then one day they'll be fed up and they say, Hey, let's, let's actually go to this thing. Yeah, I love it. In fact, yeah, that's a very positive note. And I hope uh, it doesn't happen at that. It doesn't happen soon. That's it. Like, that's the only hope. But it's inevitable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think we can end on this note. Uh, thanks a lot, Kamini, for giving your time. It was wonderful talking to you. And I know every conversation is just feels but yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up for now. Okay. Thank you so much. It was actually really fun to be here. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. That's it. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.